You're now plugged in to the Delphi Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and I help lead Delphi Ventures, as well as host some of the most in-the-weeds and thought-provoking guests across crypto, spanning layer ones to DeFi, NFTs, and beyond. The goal is to have fun, but also to dive deep and offer foundational episodes on projects and founders. Also, check out our research on Delphi Digital or miss out on the most compelling research there is. It's up to you. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive in. See you guys on the other side. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy. Today, I'm here with an old crypto friend, one of my OG friends, Jason Choi, who was previously of Spartan Capital, a very successful VC fund. They scaled their assets from $9 million in 2018 to $500 million in 2022. Jason was crucial and central to making that happen. And now Jason has spun off with his close friend to create an investment collective called Tangent. Jason, how's it going? Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be back on again. Yeah, man. It's been a while. When did we actually meet, Jason? Was it 2018? Uh, It's got to be back in 2018 when I was uh, first starting with Spartan. And I think back then it was still 50% research. Um, And then, then, yeah, we just kind of took it from there. Yeah, 51% was fun, but it was, it was good to meet you through that and uh, exciting. So, uh, Jason, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, I know it. Um, you've been on the pod before, but I think people need to hear your backstory. But Yeah, for sure. So I got in this space, as you mentioned, back in 2018. Um, back then, we didn't really have a lot of institutional funds out here in Asia. Um, so Spartan Capital was one of the only kind of fundamentals-driven crypto hedge funds out there. And I joined as the first full-time hire uh, with my partner at that time, Kelvin Co., who used to be a partner at Goldman Sachs for about 20 years. Um, so together, we kind of scaled this little experiment uh, into a viable institutional fund. And then after that, we raised two more subsequent funds. So the first fund I was um, the general partner of was a DeFi-only venture fund. And then the second fund, which is still operating now uh, without me, uh, with me basically as a venture partner, is a gaming-focused fund. Um, so yeah, I'm really proud of what we've been able to do there in the past three or four years. We've scaled to one of the more successful uh, Asia-based crypto funds, and uh, I'm excited to continue to see them uh, grow. What was the process like, Jason, for some of your hardest plays to get through IC? Like the ones that you were super passionate about, you did a ton of DD. Were those plays early to get through IC, or, or sorry, easy, or was it hard? Like what was the what was the dynamic like to get a killer play through your investment committee? to be the one champion that, and then to be the one to, you know, do a lot of the portfolio company work for that project. Yeah. So back at Spartan, we really thought about everything from first principle. So unlike most venture funds where you might have, you know, a deal lead that takes the deal and then pitch it to an IC and then the IC maybe has two people voting on it. uh, We really wanted to govern by consensus because we have a small team of incredibly smart people. So we want to make sure we leverage all of your collective intelligence, especially because we have such different interests. So we have analysts on the team who are incredibly into gaming, some uh, members of the team are more into trading and they're more you know, aware of trading infrastructure. So depending on the nature of the deal, we definitely want input from all members of the team. And we basically just service every deal that we've come across to the entire team. And then we have a discussion, five, 10 minutes, go through some of the main points that we want to you know, double, back, d- double click on with the team. Um, and then subsequently, we have follow on calls. And then after that, it's usually a voting process where you know, all, all the members of the investment team basically get to vote. 
Um, so obviously, the general partners of the fund get to veto some of the decisions, or if they're really excited about something um, and the team doesn't see that, um, they could still go ahead. But those are extremely, extremely rare. We, we typically operate by consensus. And I think that that's pretty special for a fund. Those good old executive order vetoes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're interesting. So Jason, what would you say, when you're looking back on Spartan's performance in that first DeFi fund, a lot of crypto over the bull market was a lot of FOMO on the VC side, right? I'm not saying Spartan in general, I'm just saying for the space in general, right? It felt like, I mean, at least for me and, and I think others, it was hard to keep up. There were so many deals, like it was, you know, they're all closing by Friday and, you know, you didn't really have the time in every scenario to build a full thesis out. When you're looking back on Spartan's like most successful plays, were they the plays that you had the time and did the DD on, or were they in that bucket where, you know, hey, we only have a couple of days, you know, we really got to get up to speed on this? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. Um, I, I think there's definitely situations where we are quite pressed for time in terms of just uh, deadlines for, you know, deals that are expiring by the end of the week. But I think for the most part, um, most of our investments are made with a lot of deliberation. So as a fundamentals-driven fund, we want to make sure that we dive into the research and really understand how each project works, especially if there is some live version of the product already. We want to make sure we dive into the data and look at the utility and the adoption for it. Um, so to give you a few examples, right? some of the first few bets that we made from Spartan uh, were the early DeFi 1.0 bets. So these are things like uh, Ethland before it became Aave, things like Maker, uh, things like Synthetics, uh, and uh, things like MakerDAO. So we looked on-chain for the adoption metrics for every single one of these projects and built out models for different projects and really had a very solid thesis before we even pulled the trigger. And even for some of the um, gaming investments, so for instance, we passed on the seed round for Axie Infinity, but we actually subsequently purchased Axie with the liquid fund after uh, we, we had enough conviction and we, we, we had enough research. Um, and that was one of our more profitable plays um, for the liquid fund as well. Nice. That, that makes a lot of sense. Walk me through like one of your biggest home runs. I mean, I think Alpha Finance was a big home run for you guys. I think you expanded your scope a bit to other L1s, you know, during the life of the fund. But walk me through one of your one of your personal home runs. Yeah, so I, I love the story of Alpha Finance because it really embodies what I try to do with founders, which is just be extremely hands-on with the founders and work with them uh, very closely in the beginning. So we came across the Alpha Finance deal uh, because of a previous investment we made in an Oracle project called Band Protocol based in Thailand. And one of the previous members uh, spun out to start Alpha Finance, which at that time was a levered yield farming protocol, which launched just in time. So it was uh, it, it, for, for DeFi summer. So it was great in terms of market timing. Um, so we worked very closely with Tasha, uh, the founder of Alpha, in terms of uh, ideating on product ideas, connecting them to basically everyone we know in the space who could be a potential user, so helping them onboard the first users, and uh, helping also on the marketing front and the distribution front. And that ended up being an incredibly profitable investment for us as well, and I believe that was the best performing Binance Launchpad project of 2020, if I remember correctly. And to this day, uh, you know, we, we have a really good relationship with Alpha uh, and with Tasha, both at Spartan and actually with Tangent as well, where Tasha is one of the six mentors that we have. Um, so it, it's relationships like that that uh, pay dividends, not just financially, but also in terms of the impact we can make to the space that, that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I, I mean, we're co-investors with you in Alpha, and I love Tasha because she always comes on an investor update with a full PowerPoint so professional. <laughs> it's, it's always fantastic. So let's shift a bit to to tangent, right? So you're you're at Spartan, major VC firm. You're 
build, helping to build out the team. You're working under Kelvin, who's an incredibly smart and experienced guy. And you realize that, you know, a lot of the founders in the space are just not getting the help that they need, right? You want to, I guess, from the outside looking at you, you love being intimately involved with the founders and the projects that you invest into and help build. So Tangent kind of has a good interplay there um, to do that. Give us a bit of the backstory on Tangent, you know, and also let us know like when you decided you wanted to do this while at Spartan. Yeah. So Tangent is basically a way to invest in crypto thought from first principle. So uh, we're not quite a venture fund, not quite an accelerator, not quite an incubator. And what I mean by that is we're not a venture fund in that we don't raise outside capital. So this is basically a collective of seven individuals, sorry, eight individuals investing their own capital together and also their time into a very small cohort of companies. So that's how we differ from VC funds. Um, So it might sound like it's similar to an accelerator, but it's also quite different because in terms of a cohort selection, accelerators typically invest in, you know, 100 to 400 companies a cohort. If you look at some of the more well-known or well-established accelerators out there. And to us, that basically just means every founder gets a very light touch treatment. But with crypto, with something so experimental, I think every founder actually needs a lot more hand-holding, especially for some of the more zero to one type of ideas out there. So we want to make sure we limit our cohort size. So we only invest in three to five companies every single quarter. And that's probably the smallest venture cohort you can find out of any fund out there. Um, And the final part is we're not quite an incubator either in that, you know, we're not approaching founder before they have an idea and asking for 20% of the companies. So we have an internal rule to not take more than 3% of any network just because as crypto native investors, we understand how important decentralization is. So we don't want to be on a cap table taking 20% of a token float and killing the project from day one. So those are three major principles that kind of guide guided how we formed a Tangent. Uh, but I think the most important thing for Tangent is the uh, mentors that we have. So we have uh, Gabby, the founder of YGG, the biggest uh, gaming guild in, in Web3. With Maki, uh, who was uh, one of the early members of SushiSwap, one of the earliest kind of um, anonymous DeFi projects, and currently uh, with Layer Zero. Uh, we have Sam Kazmian, who is the founder of Frax Protocol, which is one of the uh, few working algorithmic stablecoins out there. And obviously, we have Tasha, and uh, we also have State, who is an anonymous operator uh, is working for a PseudoSwap, which is one of the more exciting NFT trading protocols out there. And finally, we're really excited to recently bring on Mabel uh, from uh, previously from Multicoin and uh, who recently joined Stepin. So uh, all of these mentors basically cover one vertical um, that is very important to crypto. So we have Gabby for the gaming. We have Maki for infrastructure, Sam for DeFi, Tasha for DAOs, State for NFTs and Mabel for consumer applications. So all of these mentors basically bring in their collective expertise and their own capital and co-invest with myself and my partner, Daryl. Damn, no, it's a hell of a group. Who do you think you're? Who do you think you're missing? I mean, you have a phenomenal lineup. Um, a lot of respect for everyone you mentioned, but are you missing smart contract devs? Are you missing, you know, designers or operations people or lawyers? Like, what would you say would be your, you know, ninth ad if you had to add somebody? Yeah, so we want to be very sure that we're not trying to be a one-stop shop for everything, right? We're not trying to be company builders. We're really only helping people on the operational, on the commercial front. So uh, we're bringing in these founders with experience for scaling protocols to billions of dollars in TVL or billions of dollars in market cap. And we're basically trying to extract these lessons that they had from scaling these products for founders that we invest in. So we actually do have partnerships with law firms that we've vetted through and auditors that we've vetted through. So if founders want those resources, we can offer them. Um, but we also have a partnership with a um, 
smart contract development uh, workshop that has, I think, the largest student body in all of crypto. So we can help with placement for technical talent as well. But those are not our core uh, value adds. Those are just kind of tools at our disposal in case founders need them. We want to be very clear to founders from day one that, you know, we're not here to incubate a product for you. We're not here to build your product for you. We're here to basically be an extension of your advisory team in the early days and help you get from zero to one. Yeah, I mean, that's important. And I mean, you kind of mentioned small checks and kind of like a big impact, but the check size is, has to be relative to when you're at a fund, right? If you're at a venture fund, you know, you're writing a million dollar check, let's say, you know, the GP is on 20%. So it's really like 200K of exposure. You can get that same exposure just being prop capital and investing 200K. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the, I think, reasons why we wanted to uh, just stay full prop, just because it's max skin in the game as well. And, you know, we're not in the business of asset collection, right? We're not raising a lot of capital and earning fat management fees. We're really just investing our own lunch money into these companies. And because we don't get to diversify, we don't have, we, we don't get to spray and pray over 200 companies. All of these companies should ideally succeed. So obviously we bake in some failure rate, but um, our hit rate has to be very high for, for this model to work. So it's still very experimental. And, you know, to founders who think this sounds too good to be true, they always ask us, hey, what's the catch here? The catch is basically on us. We don't get to diversify. <laughs> you know, if, if our bets fail, we don't get to eat yeah, lunch. We're in. Um, but let, let us worry <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, man, you're my whole life. I only have a couple checks. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. Um, the, the funny part about investing is, and I think you and I have both found this at you know, helping run funds and being involved, but it, a lot of the time, there's never a perfect scenario, right? Like you find a team you really like and you find a project you really like and, you know, maybe the round is closed or, or maybe you can't get the exposure you're looking for or, you know, maybe the deal terms just aren't there, right? Or there's some like small item, like it seems relatively hard to nail that perfect like deal sizing for you guys, right? Because like you said, right, there's only a couple of checks. You want to have your exposure. It's earlier stage, so they really don't have that much to give up. Like, you know, a couple hundred K doesn't sound like much, but that early stage, it's a, you know, it's a couple percent. Like, how do you think through, like, just landing that perfect, like, deal for you guys and the perfect project? But while also kind of thinking through the deal terms and your alignment as well. Yeah, so uh, this was a deal that we did before Tangent was officially formed because uh, we actually just announced Tangent about three weeks ago. Um, but um, so one of the projects that I was really excited about is a project called Utopia Labs. So they're basically offering payroll for DAOs. And my understanding is they are currently the market leader for uh, payroll infrastructure for all DAOs. So when I invested in them as uh, Angel, and this is kind of pre-Tangent, um, I, I was extremely active with helping them onboard uh, the first dozen or so customers. Um, I connected them to a lot of their subsequent investors, and we were able to get the product to a stage where they're able to then raise a venture round, where then I brought in my partner, Daryl. Um, so I think that's the ideal type of um, investment that we'd like to make through Tangent, where we get involved very early on, we help them get from zero to one, and then in subsequent rounds where you know there's more size for us to uh, you know allocate to, then, then we can choose to you know size up there. So that's one way that we could scale, and that's one kind of ideal archetype of investments. It's the type of investments that we get involved you know in, in two touch points, the seed round and also the subsequent round. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Do you build in those rights on the first deal? Like, is it you know, hey, like legally I'm able to invest or is it more so like, hey, I've, I've seriously helped you guys, you know, we've seriously helped you. 
we would love to be investors and it's pretty friendly, pretty amicable. Yeah, so we really want to be as friendly as possible out of all the investors. We've dealt with a lot of different funds before. We've interacted with you know pretty much all of the funds throughout our past four years of investing. And um, there are a lot of amazing funds out there. But at the same time, there's a few kind of predatory funds that tend to offer terms that are pretty deleterious to founders in the early days. So we want to make sure we don't go down that route. So uh, we rarely enforce pro rata. So um, you know, there are times when we would ask for it uh, if we're early enough and we really do believe in the company, but we'd rather let our work speak for us. So if the founder wants to continue to work with us at a larger scale uh, in a future round, you know, we, we can definitely double down there. And uh, our, our goal is basically to strike a good relationship with the founder so that they want to give us ownership. So we're not forcing them legally to give us more ownership. I love that. No, I, I hate the predatory deal term. So I, I have a lot of respect for that. And I guess like the inbound deal flow for you guys is important, right? Like you've obviously built a great name for yourself. You have a great team. You know, I, I think you mentioned there's eight of you, right? Or did you say nine? Yeah, eight. Eight. Yeah, I mean, there's eight of you hunting for the best projects and teams. What does the inbound like project sourcing look like? And then on the flip side of that, what is the screening and filtering process like for you guys to come to a decision? Yeah, so we actually don't require our mentors to source deals for us. All their involvement is they just need to lend their face time and expertise to founders that we back. And the two full-time operators here, which is myself and my partner, Daryl, we source all of the deals. And most of these deals come from either funds that want to co-invest with us because they know that for every dollar that we invest, we punch way above our weight class in terms of value add. So they want us on board because we help their company succeed. So funds refer deals to us. And then other founders that we've worked with before uh, in my previous life at Spartan and in Daryl's previous life at Defiance Capital uh, also referred deals to us. And then the third pipeline, which is a new pipeline, is just directly applying to the tangent cohort. So we actually just set up this form about two weeks ago and uh, I, I got sick for about a week. But when I recovered and I checked the form, we have about 250 applications. And it's a pretty high friction form as well. You can't just drop your name and the name of your company and leave. You have to write a full application. So these are you know, 250 full-on applications um, just from that one pipeline. So um, And just to give you some color, we're probably going to invest in maybe three companies in this first cohort. So we're really talking about three companies out of maybe 300 or 400 companies that we look at. So that's a really, really low acceptance rate. And it's often painful to have to cut out good companies in the search for great companies. But um, that that's kind of something that we have to do under our model. Yeah, it's a, it's a hell of a way to you know recover from being sick. Like, wow, I was almost <laughs> dying and here's 250 projects I could invest in. <laughs> yeah, I almost got sick again after that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see why. I mean, what's the hardest part of that form? Like, what is the hardest part of that application process on, I guess, not like length or operationally, but on the founder? Is it like truly identifying what they want to do that early or, or is it something else? Yeah, so there's one question out of the form that is very specific. And we basically ask for, tell us in one sentence why each of the founder on your team is likely to succeed. Um, and this is not just, you know, about why why the team is great or um you know, why, why the product is important and should be built. This is really about the specific personality trait of each founder in your team and what would drive them to succeed. And I find that to be an extremely high signal. Um, and we've got a lot of interesting answers from that because I, I don't think a lot of founders are used to being asked that question. It's not a very kind of common question you would ask on, on due diligence calls. Um, but I found it to be a quite high signal thing. Um, so I'd say that's probably the hardest part 
of the application. All the other parts are pretty standard. We basically just ask for what are you building? What stage are you at? How big is um, the problem you're solving? What are some of the competitors and what are they doing wrong? And all, all the standard stuff. And we just filter through there uh, before we move on to kind of further duty. And these are all like, like sub 10 mil valves. What, what stage is this? I mean, I know it's early, but like how early? Yeah, so these are all seed to pre-seed. Um, I think valuation really, really ranges. Uh, as, as you know, in crypto, it, it tends to go from, you know, 5 million to like 50 million to 100 million seed. <laughs> so we don't try to put a cap on valuation. Deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we try not to yeah. do those. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it's all basically early stage. Um, ideally, there's some sort of MVP or beta live, but that's not required. Um, and it needs to be more than just an idea. Um, so there needs to be something that we can, you know, talk about, maybe something tactile that we can use or try out. Um, but that's really the only criteria. That's interesting. And there's no specific focus for you guys, right? It's like sector-wise, like DeFi, L1s, NFTs, Web3, like you guys can do whatever you want. Yeah. So that's why we constructed our initial cohort of mentors this way, where we have you know, games, NFTs, DeFi, DAOs, infrastructure, consumer, because we want to be all-encompassing. Um, and one of the things that... Uh, we did back at our previous fund. So Defiance Capital uh, was obviously a DeFi-driven fund. And back at Spartan, we have uh, two thesis-driven funds. So a DeFi-only fund and a gaming-only fund. And I think you can build incredibly powerful networks and portfolios that way. But at the same time, because under our model, we only get to invest in you know five companies, max a quarter. So we want to make sure that we don't set those artificial constraints on ourselves. Um, and I do think a lot of the interesting things that funds may not want to back are more uh, experimental things that are a little bit more zero to one and might not look like, you know, Uniswabs or Uniswap clones, which VCs might be more comfortable with, you know, might look like a DAO that only provides liquidity to, you know, NFT loans, which is actually a project we invested in. So more experimental stuff um, tends to defy uh, description. So we try not to have too um, stringent of a thesis. Uh, we will be putting out a piece where we outline, uh, I think, about 30 broad questions. And the answer to all each of these questions should be able to yield at least a billion dollar protocol or company. Um, but we want to keep it very broad. We, we, want to, we know the, an, the answers lie with the founders. So we want to wait for them to give it to us. No, that, that's fair. So, I mean, we kind of walk through the differences between you guys as an investment collective and a VC fund and accelerator. I mean, to recap, a lot of the differences are you guys are not spraying and praying. There's like a, a small cohort of dedicated people running, you know, not a whole bunch of partners. It's all internal capital, no management fee, no carry, uh, permanent capital, and, and you're looking for less than 3% ownership. So that's the difference between you guys and like a VC fund or an accelerator. Thinking ahead, where do you see this going? Like, I know that you're just getting started here. You're, you're still shift or, uh, sifting through that list of 250 projects, but do you envision Tangent becoming you know, a DAO that takes on a life of its own with, you know, people coming in to apply to be mentors and projects applying and like the community reviewing, or do you envision this staying as a very concentrated and focused group of individuals um, doing cohort after cohort? Yeah. So we discussed this a lot internally because when we designed Tangent, we deliberately made it extremely unscalable. Um, so that's why this is not something that LPs would be interested in. So that's why we all, all prop. And I really do think this kind of bespoke hands-on approach to founders is only doable if we're unscalable. So how do we actually scale this, right? Say we're successful, our investments do grow our AUM significantly. Um, there are multiple ways. We could raise extension funds to continue backing our investors. Um, this is the YC model. Uh, or we could uh, basically spin up into a DAO, as you mentioned, 
but we do have our um, reservations about that, uh, namely uh, with the free rider problem, with a lot of DAOs. Um, so that's not something that we're entertaining very closely now. But I do think there's a lot more interesting frameworks that allow you to do things like that now versus like two, three years ago. So for instance, like Syndicate DAO, um, which is a project I, I, I angel invested in, uh, they're creating this one-click investment club framework, which allows you to spin up the smart contracts for an investment club with 99 GPs, and they also do all the legal wrapper for you. So that's something that we could potentially scale into and just introduce more mentors. Um, but for now, we're just focusing on you know really nailing uh, the first cohort of, of companies and then you know the next cohort and the next cohort and see what comes next. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you, when I, when I checked out the deck for Tangent, I believe that you had in this uh, curriculum, right? Where founders would come in and you guys would teach them everything you know. What is that like? Like, what's the process of that curriculum? Does everyone take the same curriculum or does it, you know, vary founder by founder or does it actually vary by speaker as well? Yeah, so it's extremely, extremely bespoke and it's actually quite different from most accelerators. So in most accelerators, if you go through the curriculum, they basically invite some speaker come in, they talk about some generic topic and they call it a day. Here, we actually design each curriculum bespoke to every single project. And we can do that because we only invest in three to five. Um, so for instance, uh, for our badge zero, which was uh, kind of our, our stealth or a trial badge where we informally invested uh, together as, as a bunch of friends, uh, we helped one of the uh, projects that we invested in alongside you guys called uh, Voyage. Um, basically onboard in the first dozen or so DAOs uh, for customer research. So we help them pivot the entire business model from uh, a, a play-to-own type of um, model into a credit facility for guilds. Um, and that, that whole process was predominantly focused on the first module, which is product market fit. But then the next project could come along and maybe they need more help on uh, the fifth module, which is fundraising. So we would spend most of our time helping them, you know, construct their cap table, helping them through, filter through their investors, helping their investors do uh, vetting and reference checks as well. So it really, really depends on the exact needs of that company. But the reason why we have that curriculum listed out is just because we want to be specific about, hey, these are the five things that we can offer you, um, but you can you know, pick and choose which one you actually need. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think... A lot of the value adds that you're mentioning are really helpful in the early stages, right? Like being introduced to those few key customers, building that initial cap table, you know, nailing the strategy and the story, um, exploring kind of all the design choices on a first principles basis to make sure that this scales and this works. I guess the question though is when do they graduate from your help, right? Like when do they leave, you know, they go off to college? Is that, you know, after... Series A is that if you guys don't invest in the next round, like when do they stop requiring your help, or when do you, frankly, you know, maybe think that you know a later stage fund is now kind of able to step in? Yeah, so we want to be very realistic about that because uh, it's impossible for any investor to be hand, extremely hands on with a company throughout the entire life cycle. And honestly, that is it, there's probably significant reason for concern if. Your founder, after you know six months, still requires a lot of handholding from your investors. So we're very upfront with our with with our investments, where the first three months will be very intense, and then afterwards we'll graduate to a more light touch model. Where if you want introductions to anyone in the space, chances are we're one degree removed, so we can introduce you. If you want uh, access to any of our legal resources, auditing resources, or hiring resources, they're still at your disposal. But in terms of the intensive kind of curriculum focus work, uh, we're not going to be now we're not going to do that anymore. And in fact, our goal is to help them graduate to maybe a series A investor. Um, so the ideal 
uh, I guess, structure for a deal for Tangent would be where we invest. We help them get from zero to one, build some sort of MVP, get some quantifiable traction, use that traction to raise an actual price round with a Series A investor and then help them graduate away from uh, needing extremely hands-on help. Um, so that's the expectation we set with all the founders that we invest in. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And I guess, how do you feel about like vesting, holding periods and alignment for you guys? Like, I mean, it, it's crucial that you're obviously not fully unlocked in six months or anything like that. I don't think that's the case, but I mean, you obviously have bills to pay. You obviously, you know, have a life to live. You, you, you know, you, you guys all need capital to reinvest into future deals. Um, how do you kind of feel about that? Like the, the back end of this whole process? Yeah, so for uh, all of our mentors, they are all either founders or senior operators at different protocols. So, so they have you know income from their existing uh, engagements. For the two partners, for myself and Daryl, you know, Tangent is our full-time location. So obviously, I have some income from the podcast side, uh, and Daryl has his own kind of hustles as well. Um, but you know, in terms of profit taking, this is not something that we have uh, a very stringent framework for. So we're not going to be like, hey, if it unlocks, we're going to sell it for sure. I think it really depends on a case-by-case basis. And it also depends on how mature the project is. So if uh, we can you know, net a profit and as we sell the tokens, but it's going to absolutely tank the price and kill the morale because there's no liquidity and no maturity yet, you know, that's not something that we want to do because frankly, that's just kind of shooting ourselves in our foot. Um, so I don't think there's kind of strict rules for us in terms of, you know, how do we, um, you know, when do we sell the tokens? Um, you know, how do we take profits? I think it's all on a case-by-case basis. But um, because of how few companies we invest in, we're able to communicate these decisions with each of the team individually instead of just, you know, we receive tokens, we sell right away kind of thing. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Diamond hands for tangent. <laughs> um, love to hear it. I the I mean, you and I have also like privately gone back and forth a lot on Web three funds, right? Like native investment DAOs, and there's you know Meta Cartel Flamingo. There's great uh, versions of that today, and there's also a lot of legal legal restrictions, at least in the U.S., to making it a reality, right? Like KYC and accreditation laws, and not having over ninety nine investors. A lot of reasons why you can't have a real kind of Web three you know collective or incubator today, and I have a long tweet thread on it, but I'm wondering your take on that. Like you have a phenomenal group of people that are helping you build Tangent, but you know, there also are a lot of people that could potentially be a part of it, right? Like, and the flip side of that is you can also just get them involved later, right? You can also get them in this part of the round or get them a role at these projects, but it does kind of lend itself to the fact that Tangent could potentially become a true Web3 open collective? I know that might be way down the line, though. Yeah, so this is something we really discussed in the early days is, do we want to be a DAO? Do we want to make this you know, you know, open uh, open for all? You know, Anyone can join. And what we realized was that most investment DAOs we've come across have this massive problem with free riders, which uh, where, where you really need one or two um, yeah, you really need one or two people to really drive the process. And, you know, what that ends up being is it just resembles more like a fund. You still have a GP, but then the GPs this time are not adequately compensated to be a GP. So we want to avoid that. Um, I think the ideal outcome would be actually to see a lot more small investment collectives like us pop up. So Tangent would be kind of the best operator focused uh, Web3 collective out there with eight people, with maybe 10 people max. And then maybe we have an audit group of just the best white hats in the space, just 10 of them investing their own capital, offering audits, and maybe we can have, uh, you know, a hiring DAO where there's just 10 of the best kind of talent scouts out there um, in Web3 investing their own capital. 
And this kind of fits into a broader thesis that I think the 1KX guys put out, which is the disaggregation of VC funds, right? So we have massive VC funds offering one-stop shop services for everything from hiring to audit to legal and so on. So what if we basically take apart each part of these value offerings and turn it into one individual investment collective um, that are more nimble and, uh, you know, more flexible? So I think that's something that could happen. And hopefully, you know, um, Tangent is the first step in that. I love that idea. The issue that I always see, though, is you, know, you get, let's say, 1% of a round. Does 10 bips go to hiring and 10 bips goes to legal? Or, you know, like that, you know, dividing up like the percents is technically easy if you're looking at an Excel sheet, like, you know, hiring might not have as much value as like auditors, you know, et cetera, but or, or vice versa. But it gets really hard in practice because people generally only see the headline numbers going in their DAO. Yeah, that's right. So um, I think this is still very much a work in progress in terms of you know how this will pan out. We haven't seen any other models out there that does this yet. There are, I think, inklings of this where, um, uh, for instance, like a governance-focused company. I, I don't know if they, they want me to name them just because they're based in the States, but they do a lot of uh, governance work for the DeFi-based protocols, and you know they do have plans of spinning up an internal fund. So they could be you know a governance-focused investment DAO. Um, so I think we're seeing inklings of that, but no one really kind of boldly just coming forward and saying, Hey, we're going to be disaggregating VCs and this is what we're doing. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to kind of see. I think that what you are doing at Tangent though, is along the lines of the progressive, like innovation or decentralization of that one-stop shop though. I mean, you're basically, and, and it's like through a few quantifiable metrics, right? Like you're not using external capital. You know, you're investing all of your own time. It's only a couple of people involved, you know, solid people. But like you're definitely, I think, along that spectrum of moving the kind of the path forward away from those one stop shops. Yeah. And it is such a flexible structure as well, because, you know, we're not a fund. So we're not custodying assets or managing assets for any of our mentors. We're all investing individually as uh, as angels. And the only coordination is social coordination where, you know, we make sure that if you want to be looped into this group, you have to commit your time and we'll help you schedule everything and so on. But that's the only coordination we have. So it's a very loosely organized um, group of people. And it, I, in my opinion, it has the best parts of DAOs, which is the flexibility of it, uh, of who can get involved and, you know, who you can move around in terms of membership and also the best parts of the fund, because we do have the rigor of an institutional fund when it comes to our due diligence and, you know, our thesis forming and so on. That's actually pretty cool. I mean, it's so much easier for you guys. I, I don't know if everybody sees this from the outside, but you guys not having to deal with outside investors on an IR or like the GPLP formation, legal regulatory structure, and to just invest as angels gives you guys back. I don't know, you know, how much time you spend on that Spartan, but like it definitely gives you back, you know, 20, 30% of your time, maybe just to spend on growing projects. I mean, maybe at a minimum. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely on the, on the minimum side. Um, I think the catch is that because we are not an institutional fund, we're not raising capital. We're, probably not going to be scaling to billions of dollars and, you know, being able to support a massive analyst team. Hey, but hey, come on, Jason. One, <laughs> one good project. <laughs> one good project. Maybe one good hit is all we need. So fingers crossed yeah. for that. But, but for now, you know, we're thinking small. Um, we're just think, thinking to be very hands-on. Um, you know, in the future, maybe we do get to a scale. Uh, but I, I, I do think that this model is very specific for small pools of capital. So if we do scale, we're going to have to figure something out. Um, so we have some ideas, but uh, not, uh, we're going to take it one step at a time. 
that actually is kind of interesting. It's like by being successful, you're like disrupting your own model pretty much in one cycle. Like, let's say you invest, I mean, let's say you guys do, I, I don't know, let's just use easy numbers here, like 10 deals a year, two of them, let's say 50x, and you guys are already out of like, like the amount of money you would reinvest is like a fraction of your gains at that point. Like you would have to scale to something larger. Is that when you kind of create that sub DAO architecture and funnel money to different areas? Or what are you thinking there? Yeah, so we have a different idea. So we can spin up maybe different thematic sub DAOs. Maybe we have a subgroup of, a subcollective of investors that are just the maybe five best founders in DeFi and five best founders in NFTs. And then the only common connecting point is uh, my partner, Daryl, and myself, where we do all of the logistics and organization. So that, that's one path forward. Um, the other path is we can also move on to secondary markets because we don't have mandates. We do not have LPs. We can really invest in anything we want. So if we find a mature company that we really like in public markets, we can just buy their token, um, either OTC or just on exchange, um, and then approach the team to work with them. Um, and that would give us pretty much infinite scalability in terms of capital deployment, assuming you know crypto markets remain liquid. Um, but those are just kind of two off the top of the head ideas. I think there's many, many different ways we can scale this. Um, but just not in the way of a traditional fund. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I talk a lot with uh, Brian Zer, who's a close friend, and he was on the RVC series a while ago. And I always asked him, I'm like, you've done quite well. Like, why are you messing around with pre-seed or seed stage deals at this point? <laughs> like, it, And he's like, look, man, I just love it. I love being able to talk to founders that early. I love being able to craft a story, you know, and that's where the, the newest and best ideas come from, right? Like, you're not going to reinvent the world at, Google or Apple, I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen anymore, um, but it's de-risked. But that's the, uh, I mean, those those are the people that are in it for the love of the game, right? And that's those are the people that really do some real damage. Yeah, absolutely. That That's what we, um, that's what we're passionate about in terms of, you know, working with early stage teams. And the way that we selected our mentors are precisely like that as well. You know, even before Tangent, all of the mentors were already active angel investors and advisors to so many projects out there. Um, and we've worked with uh, basically all of them in, in some capacity, or we've observed the work of, uh, of some of our mentors for a long time. Um, and all of us are just passionate about early stage investing. Um, so we would, we'll, we'll likely stick to early stage for as long as we, uh, as this structure allows. Um, and if, if we do have the problem of being too successful, then we'll figure out what's next. I love that. And I mean, I, I like talking about that as an edge case, like, Grow, outgrowing where you've been. The other edge case I wanted to talk about might be a little more specific, but when you're at an angel collective, there's, you know, you find a project and let's say you are the person that is driving a lot of the value for that project, right? Like, you know it intimately, you know how to help them, you're excited about it, you want to spend your time there, but you have this collective of, let's say, 10 other people who don't add like the same level of value, but they're busy helping other projects in the collective. So it's all good. But from the founder's perspective, they're giving allocations to the whole group, right? Do you ever foresee an issue? And I mean, this is a traditional issue in VC sometimes all the time. But do you ever foresee an issue where the founder's like, look, I don't want the whole group. I just want Jason. And in that scenario, what do you do? Yeah, so in those scenarios, we tend to not invest. I mean, there are very specific cases where uh, if I think there is a strategic relationship that we can strike that's beneficial to Tangent later, then I can uh, maybe still invest. But um 
a lot of those situations, we basically for every decision, we think about how do we accrue value back to the collective. Um, and because we are not managing our mentors' capital, we're all individual angels, there could be scenarios where maybe four out of six mentors invest and then two sit on the sidelines for this specific deal, but we still come in as tangent and those mentors get involved. And you know, mentors that didn't deploy capital don't have to get involved. So this is what I mean by um, the flexibility of the DAO. Uh, where you know everybody's involvement in every deal can be done on a case by case basis, but you know ideally we'll have every single mentor get involved in every deal because I do think that even if it's a founder in a vertical that is not relevant to the project that we invested in, there's always some operational insight from having grown a company from say one person to like a hundred people or DAO from you know uh, zero dollars to a billion dollars. There's always uh, insights that you can map over that founders are always surprised by, especially first-time founders. So um, I think our goal is to find just not mentors that are not just experts in their fields, but mentors that have operational experience that can be generalized across all verticals. No, I, I totally agree. It's, you know, having somebody with like a wealth of knowledge that early in the formation or the ideation phase of a project, like, I mean, that's worth dozens of people, right? Like having people just say, okay, yeah, you know, we like the idea, like having a bunch of those people isn't really worth it, right? Like having someone dig into, this doesn't make sense, here's why, let's redo this. I mean, that's the whole foundation of the project. So I totally agree with you. So Jason, I mean, moving over to how you're viewing the market long-term, I mean, there's a lot going on, right? Like we're in a recession, we're not in a recession. I guess it depends who you ask. You know, funding on the VC side and deal flow has definitely slowed down. But honestly, I think you and I welcome that. It's when you can actually build and, you know, there's no FOMO. You're actually investing in stuff that, you know, is foundational and that you could drive a real impact on. But the flip side of that is there's also a lot of changes in the market, right? Like people are not only investing on ETH or the L1s we know, right? Like they're building on Stark where they're building on, you know, ZKL2s. And there's a whole modular narrative that's rolling out with Celestia, People are spinning up Cosmos app chains more frequently now. So there's a big change in, I guess, the macro world, crypto within it, and then where people are building from an L1 and an L2 perspective. And that definitely impacts, you know, people's ability to help and to invest because now they have to be kind of experts on new L1 structures and where the value flows and things like that. How do you view yourself and tangent playing into a world where, you know, maybe Celestia starts to win or maybe Cosmos really begins to dominate, like as we've seen kind of lately. Um, obviously, as disclosure, Delphi has investments in some of the projects I mentioned, like Celestia, but we'd love to kind of get your take there. Yeah, I absolutely love the Celestia team. Um, so we do want to focus mostly on the kind of user layer, the app layer. So while we are capable of investing in infrastructure and we have experience investing in some infrastructure before, I think a lot of our focus is really on the app layer. So we'd like to think that where the apps are built is less important than whether users actually want to use the applications. So we tend to be, you know, we, we never make decisions based on, hey, we want exposure to the Solana ecosystem. That's why we're going to, you know, invest in some Solana projects. We always look at the uh, the, the product I'm sorry, the founder market fit, whether the founder is the right person for building this product and whether we think people use this product. So in terms of you know how we protect ourselves against a changing world, I think actually just by virtue of having very rich deal flow, for instance, just from this pipeline of like 300 projects alone, we're able to see basically a project built across every single major chain out there, at least one of them. Um, 
And we're seeing projects built on kind of newer chains that we're hearing about as well, like Aptos and Sui and also and, and so on. So through just keeping abreast of everything that's going on, I think we were able to kind of navigate that uh, that pretty well. Um, and I think just by nature of what we invest in, you know, uh, applications are also increasingly uh, chain agnostic right now. So one of the more successful um, uh, derivatives, decentralized derivatives exchanges, DYDX, they recently announced they're moving away from Starkware to Cosmos. So if one of the most popular DeFi apps can just, you know, change chains like that, um, who's to say that all of the applications can't do the same? So we're less concerned about which chain we're picking, uh, more concerned about the application. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. I, I guess if you're looking at the application, though, do you have any concerns on, I guess, it's just hard to stay apprised of every L1, right? Like an every L2, right? And like, it's always sometimes hard to tell, like, is this a copy paste app or, or is there real innovation here, right? Like, how do you view like, you know, new app comes to you guys, you love it. It's built on, let's say, Starkware, right? Just an example. But, you know, that same app is crushing it as a Cosmos app chain already. Like, how do you kind of view like loving the app, but keep being cognizant of, can it be successful on that L1 or L2? And does this kind of already exist? Yeah, so that is actually one of the um, scoring uh, variables that we have, which is whether this is a zero to one application. So I do think that there might be a path for, you know, maybe a Uniswap fork on every new chain, maybe, um, you know, maybe an Aave fork on every new chain can become a mature product uh, by itself. But that's not something that we're extremely excited about. We want to make sure that we're pushing the space forward and investing in mostly zero to one things. So, um, you know, ideally things that don't already exist and are not just a slightly, you know, marginally improved versions of existing applications. So that might end up, you know, being some things that are really far out there. Um, so, for instance, one of the products that we invested in uh, before the, uh, you know, official formation of Tangent is called Pwned No More, PNM. Um, so they're actually a DAO of white hat hackers and they provide code fuzzing, which is you know a very basic form of just code auditing for uh, different crypto projects out there. And then they find common bugs. And the goal is that over time, the collective intelligence from auditing all of these protocols could build some automated process where you can catch, say, like 80, 90 percent of the common bugs out there. Um, so that sounds a little bit like, you know, a common good doesn't really sound like a commercial business, but that's something that we think can push the space forward. So that's something that we want to get involved with. Yeah, that's a good one. I forgot the name of the other hacking site where you just throw a bounty on and anybody can, you know, try and hack a project and earn that bounty. I mean, Unify. I love that model. Yeah, it's such a good one. Yeah, I, I do think um, security is not always the sexiest thing to invest in, and it might not be the most profitable because it's not some, you know, a retail narrative that people are excited about. But it, it is the most important bedrock of crypto. So I, I'm happy to, you know, throw my money at, at solutions like that that help push the space forward. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I guess one, like, personal question, like, that cuts a little deeper, like, why start Tangent instead of being an angel? And as an angel, you can obviously have way higher check sizes than what you like versus more of a basket. And I know that we kind of played out, you know, how Tangent isn't a VC, isn't a hedge fund, isn't an accelerator. But I guess the thing we didn't hit on was why not just stay as an angel yourself? Yeah, so Tangent really is an extension of what I already do, which is angel investing. And we pitch this to our mentors as an extension of what they do as well. So all of them do angel investing already, but they just simply don't have the time to do DD. They want to have founders, but they don't have time to do reference checks on them. So that's where we come in to basically 
give synergies between what they bring and then also what Daryl and myself bring from the fund management side. So I see it more as an extension of what I'm already doing versus a replacement. Um, and in terms of the community side, I think one of the favorite things, my favorite things about investing back at Spartan was the, the team that we had, uh, being able to spend every single day just talking about different projects and learning from my fellow analysts. That was one of the kind of my favorite things about working in a group context. Um, and I really wanted to replicate that in a way that makes sense for Tangent. Um, so kind of getting together this incredibly smart group of people and investing with them, um, I think that's, that's the closest thing that we can replicate, that community aspect of it. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. Jason, I think we covered most of my questions. Do you have any for me or, or any topic areas we didn't cover on Tangent Yourself you want to talk about? No, I think that uh, that pretty much covers everything. Uh, we're super excited to um, you know, talk to more founders. Our deadline is basically end of this month, but we're constantly looking at new deals. So you know, if anyone's out there that wants to talk to us or get feedback on the product, just reach out to us. Um, you know, go, go onto our website, tangent.ventures. Um, and, and apply to uh, to be part of a first cohort. Any any hacks for an aspiring founder looking to get your attention? Like anything they could throw on that forum that would like, definitely catch your uh, catch your view. Yes, definitely. So if you could get a warm referral through uh, you know one of our you know, maybe former portfolio companies at Spartan or Defiance or through one of our mentors, if you could get one person to vouch for you, that will help you go a long way and and kind of putting your application to the top of the list. So definitely try to do that. Um, but that being said, we still look at every single application that comes through. Yeah, the, the curation process there on vouching makes a lot of sense. Um, definitely, I mean, it's definitely indirect, but I would rather that one sentence warm intro than a book <laughs> cold email. <laughs> I'm with you. That's true. Yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on. Um, have a great night by you. Uh, morning here, but I love that we could connect and hopefully I'll see you soon in person. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Tom. This has been really fun. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Delphi podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on your podcast app, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter or LinkedIn. Stay tuned for our next episode. Out soon.